Matthew 21, and uh, let's read the whole thing, beginning in verse 33, where it says this, Here another parable. Uh, There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son. He sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived, they knew that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Here we see uh, so many lessons tucked away in this parable. And in one sense, it's more than a parable. It's almost an allegory. You know, parables usually only have one primary meaning. But in allegory, you can take all these different things and you can apply them. And this is exactly what the Lord does here in this allegory, this parable of the, the vineyard and the vine dressers and the owner and the servants and the son. And as we look at our study today, one of the things that we'll come away with is this, that you and I, we need to bear fruit. We spoke about that last week. We really do need to bear fruit. God is expecting fruit from us. We need to bear fruit. And another thing is is that we need to be broken. Those two things, bear fruit or be broken or be judged. That's really what the parable teaches. If you don't bear fruit, if you will not allow God to break you of your will, then you will be judged. That's the clear teaching. It applies to the non-believer judged in hell. It belongs and applies to the Christian who's judged in you know, the Bema seat or even on this side of time where things are stripped away from them like Saul. You guys remember the story of Saul in the Old Testament. God had an anointing on his life. God had a calling on his life. God had a mission for him to lead the people, to bless the name of God. But he continued to defy God. He continued to resist the will of God. He continued to rebel against the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. And then one day, the kingdom was stripped from him. 
And these are things that we really need to take to heart, you guys. This is serious stuff that we're involved in. That we are God's people and we have a call to holiness and to live for Him. That we must not be barren. We need to be bearing fruit. We must be broken of our own will. It's no longer my will, but it's His will. My kingdom go, His kingdom come. And let God break every area of your life. Not just your Sundays, but your Mondays and your Tuesdays and your every day. Because that's really what being broken is all about. If not, you guys, the truth is, we see it right here, we will be judged. If we don't judge ourselves, then one day we will be judged by God. I don't know if you guys ever heard this story of a guy named Kerry Tyndall. Uh, it's a story that kind of went out way back when. A lot of people heard about it. But one day he was in a California courtroom and he was charged with robbery. And so he asked the judge and he actually got permission. Uh, the judge's name, Armando Rodriguez, he, he gave him the permission to go to the bathroom. And so while he was in the bathroom, the guard uh, guarded the door. This guy, uh, Gary Tyndall, he climbed up onto the plumbing and he went into the ceiling tile area, you know. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He opened the panel and sure enough, there was space there and he started to crawl through the crawl space and he headed south. And the story goes that he went about 30 feet when the ceiling panels broke from beneath him. And what had happened was he went from the restroom right back into the courtroom. <laughs> he fell right smack bound there in the middle in the front of the judge's bench. And it's kind of an interesting story, you know, because here we are today and we're thinking, you know what, nah, judgment's not going to come. I'm not going to experience it. We don't even think about it. But we're all going to be judged, either at the Bema seat or the white throne. And that's why we really need to be ready for this day. Here we see the Lord. He speaks a parable to them. He speaks because he wants to reach them. This is not just a story, you know, just to tingle some ears. There's a real heavy message here. He speaks about agriculture. He speaks about farming. Because in those days, they would really understand the things he spoke of. Here he speaks in verse 33 about this owner, a landowner. It says right there that he planted a vineyard. He set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers. And then he went into a far country. Now, this is something that they would be very familiar with. I mean, think about it. There's the owner. He plants the vineyard. And he builds a hedge about it. Now, this would be a thick set horn, thorn hedge. It was designed to keep out both the wild boars who might ravage the vineyard and also the thieves who might steal the grapes. And then he, it says right there, he dug a wine press in it. The wine press consisted of a couple of troughs, either hollowed out of the rock or built by bricks, but somehow they would be there. One channel was higher than the other, and you guys have seen the I Love Lucy. Remember, she stomps on the grapes, and the grape juice would trickle down. That's what the owner had done. He'd built the wine press. He even built a tower. This would serve two purposes. One, when the grapes would begin to ripen, the watchman could be up there on the tower guarding the vineyard also they could sleep there in the tower so this owner had done everything he had planted the vineyard he had set a hedge about it he had dug a wine press he had built a tower and then he did something that was very common in those days he leased it out he rented out to individuals to take care of that vineyard this is something that would happen very often some of you here rent your house it's similar to that you know you as a renter 
You're supposed to pay your rent, right? I mean, that's exactly what we see happening here. Uh, They would get their rent in three ways. Either one would be money, two would be a fixed amount of fruit, or three would be a certain percentage of the crop. But the crazy thing about it is that we see here when the owner sent the servants to just collect the rent, whatever it is, in this case it's the fruit, that was their agreement, they weren't willing to pay. They abused them. They stoned them. They killed them. And that's what happens to us, you guys, when we don't bear fruit for God. When we don't, he, He's done everything for us. He's planted that vineyard. He's set the hedge about us. He has dug the wine press. He has built the tower. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has given you His Word. He has spoken to you. He has spoken to us. He has done everything for us. And just, you know, it makes sense. It's your reasonable service that we would bear fruit unto God. But so many times, I know in my own life, man, I don't do it. We don't have the character of Christ. You know, we get so upset so easily, or we don't uh, find ourselves busy about His business. You know, it's so hard, even here in this church, just to share with you, you know, there are so many needs. You know, we have people doing double services, serving first service, serving second service. Why? Because there are not enough servants. You know, and I know God will provide, and I know He's gracious to us, but somehow I think that other people need to step up and to fill out one of those little cards right there and get involved in the ministry. Now, sometimes that's not your calling, but sometimes it is. God has given you gifts, and God has put you in the body of Christ so that you would exercise those gifts for His glory and serve Him. But a lot of times what happens is that we find ourselves, you know, in a church or we see it in the church as a whole where just the few are doing the the work. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be everyone contributing their part in the ways that God wants them to contribute. Don't be afraid. Maybe you're here today and you're afraid. You're thinking, but I'm afraid, you know, I won't be good enough. Or what if they won't accept me? We'll accept you. Okay, I want to tell you that right now. We will welcome you and we will do our best to say, you know, whatever gifts you have, you exercise them for God's glory. But as you do that, then as we all put things together, then you will bear fruit for God. One of the things that was so cool, we had the privilege of going to the funeral there uh, for Christopher Laurie on a Friday. And Greg Laurie was just, you know, he was just so proud of his son. His son had an, an amazing gift of graphic designing. And so all the, the, when you guys go to the Harvest Crusade this year, and I just encourage you to go uh, to see God work. You know, all the, the whole setup was designed by his son. And he, you know, designed the bumper sticker. I encourage you just out of the mercy of God to get a bumper sticker and put it on your car. Even if it leaves a little sticky stuff afterwards, who cares? There are some people who say, well, I don't want to put a bumper sticker on my car because I don't drive right. Hey, drive right. <laughs> Let it be an incentive to keep the, law, the laws of the land. But I don't see, and I was telling Shelly, man, every single car here should have a bumper sticker. doesn't make any sense to me. But anyways, that's just personal conviction. What he was saying here is that, you know, my son had this gift of graphic designing. And he was a man used by God so that, you know, all these people would listen to this old man talk. <laughs> and he said every single soul that came to Christ is going into his account as well. 
It's not just the person who preaches. It's all of us together as we're serving the Lord faithfully, as we're bearing fruit of ministry and fruit of morality, then God will be glorified. And this is exactly what he's looking for. This is the rent that is due. If we're not living with the character of Christ, his heart, the way that he is, then we're not living the way he wants us to. And if we're not serving the way that we should be exercising our gifts for his glory, then we're missing out on so much. If you're here today and you're wondering, well, I don't know how I can serve. I don't know what to do. I'm kind of, you know, here and there, or you're scattered or whatever. You know what? Settle this issue. Don't go on living like that. Settle this issue. Talk to myself or Richard or somebody who, you know, you can really confide in, somebody you can trust, somebody you can get with in the Word of God and say, hey, let's figure out what part of the body are you? Because you know what? The body can't function. We need, you know, even all members of this body in order to be healthy. But more than that, if you don't, if you don't, if you take your talent and you bury it, one day you will be sorry. Because God expects you to bear fruit for him. And he gives the whole story here. It's so amazing. The, the landowner here, he's the father. He is our father God, highest in function and office. The owner of all. The landowner here is the father. The vineyard here is Israel. We see that in the context. We see that even in the cross-references. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 9, this is what the scripture says. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared a room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. You see, the vineyard is Israel. Jeremiah 2.21, God speaking of Israel, he said, Yet I planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. You see, the vineyard is Israel. As a matter of fact, there's a really good cross-reference over in the book of Isaiah if you want to turn there. This is an important verse when it comes to the vine because notice the progression here in Isaiah chapter 5. It says in verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones. I like that. And planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. Sound familiar? So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. See, God does everything. He speaks to us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He continues to be long-suffering and patient with us. He loves us. He gives us the best. And he expects, you know, there to be a return, there to be fruit of morality and fruit of ministry, the character of Christ and the service for Christ. But a lot of times what happens, and I'm not just speaking to you and speaking to myself here, we don't live that way. We don't. We're not broken. We do our own thing. And God says that's not the way it should be. That's what happened with Israel. Look what it says in verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please tell me, 
Let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. It's heavy, huh? You read that verse right there, you read that section right there, and you realize that unless we bear fruit, God will judge us. And like I said, for the Christian, I believe you're going to get stripped like Saul did of the ministry And for the non-Christian, obviously, he gets sent to hell. It's so important that we know the character of God, the holiness of God, the expectations of God. He doesn't expect us just to come to church and do a religious thing, although that is something that will help you to grow and hopefully will mold you and shape you and challenge you to walk like Christ. But he's not impressed with that. That's what the religious leaders did. That's not where it's at. He wants us to have the heart of Jesus Christ. You see, Israel did not bear fruit. God inspected them, and they did not have what he was looking for. You know, and those who had been given so much, and he was searching for and longing for fruit, they did not produce. Back in the book of Matthew, we see the owner is the father, the vine is Israel. And the vine dressers here are the leaders of the nations. We see that even if you look down at verse 45 of Matthew 21. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. You know, and and this whole thing works hand in hand. When the leaders are off, the people will be off. And the leaders are more accountable. They're more accountable and God will get them as well. We see here the servants are all the prophets. The men who throughout the ages had spoken God's message to them. Messages that they did not want to hear. They therefore opposed them, persecuted them, and they killed them. This was the testimony of the Jews. And I know, you know, for us here, I don't know how you guys are, you know, in your life. Sometimes you hear a message and, you know, maybe you do get a little upset at this, you know, this guy. Who does he think he is? I remember I was talking to someone just yesterday and they say the reason they didn't want to go to church is that guy's trying to tell me how to dress. And, (laughs) you know, the ladies have to dress modestly. That's what the Bible says. And she just did not like that. I mean, sometimes people just don't like to be told, even by God, what to do. And yet, really, that's what the prophet is all about, is to speak God's message. You know, learning about God, learning about the expectations of God. But sometimes we don't like that. That's what happened to the Jews. Man, they resisted the messengers that God had sent to them. And they stiff-armed them and they plugged their ears and they maybe let it go one ear and out the other, but they would not change their life. They wouldn't change their life. That was their testimony. We even see it later in Matthew 23. Look what it says in verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes, Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I mean, he goes all the way back to Abel. And he gives them the testimony of how they would not listen to the prophets. You see, we read this right here and we see the owner is the father. The vine is Israel. The vine dressers are the religious leaders and the servants are the prophets. And the son, the son that he sends, last of all, is none other than Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he is the son. He's the heir of all. He's the beloved of the father, sent by the father. And some people in looking at this are so cool, they don't miss out on this. That, you know, you would think that God would just judge them already, that he would send the military, he would send the police. But he does everything he can to reach us. And so in the end, he says, okay, this is something that would reach them. I will send them my son. And my son will give signs and he will do miracles and he will speak like no man has ever spoke. And he will be love incarnate and light in the darkness. I'm sure they'll listen to my son. But we see that when they saw the son coming, it says right there in verse 38, the vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. When people reject Christianity, when people reject this message of bearing fruit and being broken, they're rejecting God's Son. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1, that God at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You know, as the Son, not only should the vine dressers respect him for who he was, but also for how he was. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it have been cool to see the Son of God in the flesh? I mean, I just cannot wait for that day to see him They saw him, you know, not only for who he was, but how he was amazing, miraculous, majestic, meek, loving and leading and strong and sensitive and tried and true and everything that's good. Imagine that. But they did not want Christ to be king over their congregation. And so they eventually cast him out. They killed him. They crucified him. And, you know, you look at this and it's easy to understand, huh? I mean, you guys probably all know this parable. It's easy to understand. But isn't it kind of hard to believe? I mean, you look at this and you think the vine, the vine dresser, the renters, why won't they pay their rent? You know, some of you here don't pay your rent sometimes, huh? And it's not because, you know, you don't want to. Hey, I'm not going to pay my rent. Maybe you don't have the money or whatever. But isn't it just, just so ludicrous that someone will be renting a house And not pay? Well, that's what we do. When we do not bear fruit for God, moral fruit, ministry fruit, and when we are not broken of our wills, same thing. This is what God expects of us. 
They did not want Christ to be king, therefore they were judged. The sentence is so simple, even they knew it. Verse 41, destroy those wicked men, miserably, lease it to a vineyard to others who will render to him the fruits that's due in their season. And that's exactly what happened to Israel, eventually what happened. We see two things, first destruction, destruction. And God was patient, just like God is patient with us. God is long-suffering and compassionate and gentle, but do not take advantage of that. Especially if today the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, or maybe lately. I know, you know, there are some of you here, man, the Holy Spirit has been heavy on you. He has been heavy on you, telling you to live the life. I know that. If that's you and the Holy Spirit, God has been heavy on you, telling you to live the life, please, Live the life. Because if not, just like the nation of Israel, one day there will be that element of destruction. Now for the nation of Israel, we know we can see it visibly what happened in 70 AD. The Romans came. They sent Titus, the general of the army. He encircled the city. And what ended up happening was 1.2 million Jews died. And they didn't just die. They suffered a terrible death. We see when you study history there, man, some of the things that took place there in their judgment. You know how some would try to flee the land and be killed. Others within the city, you know, they would eat their own excrement. They would eat their children. They were there. The Bible says there was so much gold in the city that some of them would actually eat gold. This is actually according to history. They would eat the gold. They would try to flee the city. And what ended up happening eventually is they found out that people who leave right now, they've got gold in their stomach. And so if you left the city, they would tear you up and they would look inside just to see if there was any gold. There was horrendous misery and suffering. And then when the day eventually came, when the Romans came in, there were still 600,000 people in the city that were alive, men, women, children. They would bear arms. And they would be slain. You see, that's what eventually happened to them. We see, first of all, the destruction. Second of all, the eviction. The eviction. You know, the vision of the vineyard was taken from the Jews and has been leased now to the Gentiles. They no longer possess that calling, that privilege, that honor to represent God to the world. They no longer have the Holy Spirit working in them corporately. Now, there are individuals that have that privilege in the Jews, you know, life and, you know, the kingdom there. But generally speaking, the Jews have been, according to Romans chapter 11, cast away. They lost that mission. They forfeited it. And that can happen to us as well. First destruction, then eviction. That's what happened to the Jews. You read that kind of like in the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 46, that Paul said, you know, and Barnabas, they grew bold and they said, hey, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And that's what happens, you guys. And, you know, I thank God for his patience and I thank God for his, you know, long suffering with us, you know. You know, and as you hear the word of God, I know for me, sometimes as I'm studying or just reading or even listening to Bible studies, man, I'm like, oh, this is for me. Lord, help me. But many times, sometimes we go out and we don't live the life. And eventually, that will run out. 
if we continue in persistent unrepentance. And that's the warning here. That's the love that God has for us and that he would share with us these things. Here it says the word of God, Paul and Barnabas, the word of God, the word of God was spoken to you. But since you judge yourselves unworthy, we turn now to the Gentiles. And that's what God will do. God will say, hey, I wanted to use his life. I wanted to use her life in such a tremendous way. I have such a great calling. But what ends up happening is we disqualify ourselves. We don't beat our flesh into subjection. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We see that in Romans 9, 10 and 11, how God has cast away the Jews for a season and turned to the Gentiles. And we see the symbolism here of the vineyard then progressing into the symbolism of the stone, huh? Because the Lord gave the illustration of the stone. He says, this is what we see in verse 42, the stone which the builders rejected, you guys have rejected, he's become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. You see, they had rejected Jesus Christ and that's what happens, you guys, really, you know, when we don't bear fruit, when we don't live like Christ. You know, it's not just a, a random thing. It's not just a trivial thing. It's a huge thing. And that's the challenge for you today. And that's the challenge for me today. To really go out there and be the lights that we're supposed to be. To be the people that we're supposed to be. Because if not, we are rejecting the chief cornerstone. And if you reject, if there's the rejection of the chief cornerstone, then you're not going to build anything. We are not going to build every, anything. And that's why it's so important that we take this to heart. Here the Lord quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. A prophecy that spoke of the nation of Israel but find its ultimate fulfillment in Christ how he is the stone rejected by the builders. And it just so happens that he's the chief cornerstone. We read that in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And so here we are today and we're like, Okay, 2008, it's going to be great. That's the life that we want to live, right? And I don't know what God has for you. I mean, Christopher Laurie, God took him home. He was 33. None of us know how long we're going to live. It could be a car accident. It could be an earthquake. It could be a heart attack. I mean, it doesn't. we don't know. But whatever life we have left, we want to live it for the Lord. And so here's this stone, this foundation that's sure, solid, true. And God says, I want you to build on this. I want you to build this tower. I want you to build this, you know, structure that will bring me glory. We got to build on this stone. It's come into our presence. Let's take it. Let's put it in its place. That's the way they would build structures. That's the way they built the temple. And the Lord says, I want you to take my son, embrace him. He's the one who loves you. He will lead you in life. Walk with him. Talk with him. Walk like him. Have a deep and personal and intimate relationship with Christ so that you can build on this stone, a beautiful temple that God will do wonders through our life. Unfortunately, Israel rejected this stone. 
And we must learn even from their mistake. You know, you look at this right here and you see the stone of uh, building. You know, the Bible also speaks about the Lord being a stone of smiting. In the book of Daniel chapter 2, it talks about that. And if you guys read the story there in Daniel 2 verses 31 through 35, you see the Lord speaking about all the kingdoms of the earth, but one day there will be this stone not cut with hands and it will strike all the other kingdoms and then it will be like this mountain that will fill the earth and the rule of that kingdom will be forever and ever and ever. And that's who Jesus is. He's the rock that will rule. And so I want to encourage you guys today to learn from this, that we should be bearing fruit, that we should be broken. Because that's what we see right there in verse 44. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but there's a contrast there. On whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, you know, you look at that verse right there, and some people believe that they're both speaking of the same thing, but they're not. They're totally different. One, the rock is under you. One, the rock is something that you fall on. And the other is the rock is over you, and it falls on you. Which would you rather be? (laughs) I would rather fall on this rock today. I would rather drop to my knees and confess my sins and fall on this rock and be broken rather than this rock falling on me and crushing me, grinding me to powder. And that's the choice that we have, you guys. I don't want to confuse you guys in any way. Let me share this with you real quick. This parable speaks fundamentally of salvation. It does. That if you reject Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, if you reject the Son of God, then you will be destroyed and you will die in your sins. You will be ground to powder, sent to hell, and the Bible says, cast into the lake of fire. Fundamentally, this is what this parable teaches. And so if you're not a Christian, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior truly from the deepest recesses of your heart, then today I encourage you to turn from your sin. I beg you today to give your life to Christ. But there's also that underlying principle here that we can apply to our lives. Really, it's a question that we have to ask today. We have this privilege. We have this opportunity between you and the Lord. Can I ask you today, are you broken? Have you truly surrendered your will to His? Have you bowed all of you to Him to where no longer it's your will, but it's His will? That's all we need to do. You know, I love what it says about David. It says in the book of Acts chapter 13 that he was a man after God's own heart willing to do all his will. That's where we need to be. All of his will. Will I be broken today? Or will I be barren? Will I bear fruit for God? Or will it be stripped away from me? Will I be like Christ or David or will I be like Saul? See, we have to make sure that we 
have that understanding. It's imperative for us to realize that God is looking for fruit from us. He expects it. As we saw last week in verse 18, God is hungry. He's looking for moral fruit, ministry fruit. He's looking at our lives and wondering if we're walking in His ways and walking in His works. I pray that God would have mercy on us today. That none of us here would leave without just judging ourselves, examining our lives, and truly asking God to place us where we need to be. We know the Jews lost their witness. Saul lost his kingdom. And every day, so many are losing their souls. You know, I'm not sure if it's history or legend, but I heard this story, some of you have probably heard about this, that when the temple was under construction, that stones were quarried miles away and they were transported to the Temple Mount. Now, when they would build the temple in those days, think about it, it would be a stone 40 feet wide. If I'm not mistaken, that's wider than this area right here. And they would be transported to the temple and they were massive and yet they would fit together so perfectly that no mortar was needed, not even a knife blade could fit between them because they were cut so well. But tradition has it that one stone arrived on the scene but because the builders couldn't figure out where it was supposed to go, the builders rolled it off a cliff into the Kidron Valley. Not until the foundation was complete did the builders discover that they were one stone short. Sure enough, the stone that they had rejected was none other than the chief cornerstone. And I just pray that today we would not reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He really wants to do a work in us. He really wants to do a work through us. But we must be willing and yielding today. You know, I'm not sure for sure if that story is true, but I do know this, that Jesus Christ is either your cornerstone or your stumbling stone. That either He's the rock who saves you or He's the rock who smites you. He would prefer to save you and sanctify you and lift you up and build you up. But today, all of us here must take a step of faith towards God to soften the soil, to abide in the vine, and to bear fruit for our owner. And as we do that today, we choose today, Lord, to bear fruit. We choose today to be broken of our will. Then God will do a new work in our life. It was so cool last week when we were talking about the fruit. Uh, It was so neat, man, because one of the Brothers, after service, after the first service, he ran to his tree. We were talking about fig trees, and I was sharing with you guys how, you know, my daughter had never eaten a fig, and I felt so guilty because of that. It's my fault. I should have bought her a fig by now, you know. She's all, Dad, I've had fig Newtons, but that's it. It was so cool. The brother brought us some figs. And so we took it home, and it was so awesome. I cut them up. And uh, she had one, and Aaron had one for the first time, and Shelly did, and I did. And let me tell you, it was good stuff, man. It's not like the stuff you buy in the markets nowadays. It's, you know, when it's homegrown like that, it's just better. And um, we got blessed. We got so blessed. And that's the way it is, you guys. As we really bear fruit, people will be blessed. God will be glorified. And there will be a new work done in our life. One guy said this, Oswald Sanders, God will make us broken bread 
and poured out wine to feed and nourish others. But today we need to make a choice to come to the end of ourselves, to take the crown off our own head and to put it on Christ. There's that throne in our heart. Get off the throne. Let the Lord sit on the throne. I'll close with this last quote by Ruth Kalkin. She said, Lord, I'm at the end of all my resources. And God's response was, Child, you're now at the beginning of mine. And that's where we need to be, you guys, today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your love, your grace in our life. Father, I thank you for the way that you shoot straight. You don't beat around the bush. You you warn us because this is justice. This is righteousness. You can't violate your holiness. We must bear fruit. And so, Lord, help us to abide in you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to walk with you and have a relationship with you that we may bear fruit, Lord God, with that willingness and that heart to obey. And so, Lord, I pray today your word Uh, Not the rock, but your word would break us. And even as we sing this last song, Lord, I pray it would be an expression, a cry of our heart, Lord, to, to be broken, Lord. To just be broken as your people. And just in case, I don't know if there's anyone here, but as you guys are here today, if you're not a Christian, if you've never really given your life to Christ, Real quick, man, we want to give you that opportunity. You know, you've got to make a choice to follow the Lord. And um, if you've never made that choice or made that step, we just want to pray for you right now that God would touch you, that you would realize that you are a sinner apart from Christ. You're in deep trouble apart from Christ. You have no hope apart from Christ. But if you want to receive Christ, that all your sins would be washed away, that when you die, you would go to heaven to turn from your sins and to receive Him as He died on that cross for you, to receive Him as your Lord and Savior today. Then right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand just in case, man. Maybe you've been here before and you've never really given your life to Christ. We just want to throw out the net, man. See if there's anyone here. Right where you're at, you raise your hand. God will see your hand. God will honor that decision. Anyone here? Don't be afraid. It's the best decision you could ever make. Man, raise your hand. Okay, Father, what a blessing, Lord, it is. To see the work that you're doing, Lord. And as I look out, Lord, at the congregation, I thank you for each and every one. I thank you for the calling on their life, the love. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. You would change us. This would be a new week, Lord, a new life. We do love you. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.